Father, we pray that you would make your word sweeter to us than honey from the comb. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to feel in our souls that your word is better to us than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We pray that you would cause us to know in the depths of our our being that your word is truth. And Lord, we pray that you would make us to feel what your people have always felt, that our lives depend upon your promises, your revelation of yourself. And Lord, we ask that you would cause us to treasure your word, to accept and embrace what it teaches, and to do everything that we can to conform our lives to it. Lord, we pray this because we believe that you are revealed in your word. And we want to know you. We want to fear you. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to live lives that are pleasing to you, having been reconciled to you by faith. So Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through this ancient story. We pray that you'd give us joy as we see the wonder of what you bring to pass. We pray that you'd give us confidence that you will exalt your chosen to your right hand, and he will reign, he will deliver, he will bring to pass the blessing of Abraham. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I would invite you to open this morning to Genesis chapter 41. And as you turn there, I would just invite you to to contemplate this question. How are you responding to the Word of God in your life? How are you responding to what God has revealed in the Scriptures? What we're going to see this morning is uh, the way that God revealed himself to Pharaoh before there were Scriptures, and then we'll see the way that Pharaoh responds to the revelation of God, and in the midst of this, remarkably, amazingly, God is bringing about the blessing of Abraham. So if you've been here, you know that we've been going through the story of Joseph, and just to summarize Briefly, what we've seen to this point, we saw in Genesis 37 the way that Joseph was given these dreams. And now, in this chapter, Joseph is going to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And I, I can't resist pointing out that this is similar to the story of Daniel, but it's, it's slightly uh, different in that Daniel first had Nebuchadnezzar's dreams revealed to him in Daniel 2, and then later in Daniel 7, Daniel had his own dreams that the the Lord then made known to him. And there are going to be other similarities that we're going to observe between Joseph and Daniel as we we go through. But it's it's interesting that uh, first we get Joseph dreaming, and now we get Pharaoh dreaming, but in both cases, Joseph knows what these dreams mean. Well, the dreams in Genesis 37 involve Joseph's parents and his brothers bowing down to him. And we've talked about how that indicates that Joseph is God's chosen. Joseph is the one through whom God is going to keep his promise and through whom the blessing of Abraham is going to be realized. And then events take a totally unexpected turn as Joseph's own brothers reject him and sell him into slavery. And and it looks like the promises of God are never going to come to pass because first Joseph is a slave and then he's falsely accused and he's thrown into prison. And yet everywhere he goes, we've seen how because Joseph walks with God, and I, I suggested to you that what Joseph, what, what him experiencing the presence of God, again and again we read that God was with Joseph. And I, I've suggested to you that I think Joseph was thinking about the the, the, the stories that he knew about the creation of the world. And he's thinking about the stories that he knew about God revealing himself to Abraham and making promises to Abraham. So that even though Joseph doesn't have a Bible, Joseph is nevertheless meditating on and contemplating the contents of what we now know as the book of Genesis. And because of that, Joseph has joy, even as a slave, even as a prisoner. 
and God causes everything that Joseph does to prosper, we, we've seen. And then in, in chapter 40, um, these two guys get thrown into prison with Joseph, the cupbearer and the baker, and they have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams, and then the cupbearer gets exalted. He gets restored to his position, and Joseph had said to him, remember me before Pharaoh. I'm innocent. I got sold into slavery. I got falsely accused. I don't deserve to be in prison. Petition Pharaoh for me. And of course, the guy forgets him. And look at Genesis 41, verse 1. After two whole years. So uh, two years have gone by. I suspect that Joseph forgot all about the cupbearer. If initially, when the cupbearer gets restored to his position, Joseph is hoping, maybe this is going to get me out of prison. I don't deserve to be in prison. I've not done anything wrong. I'm unjustly here. And this guy, who is in Pharaoh's presence every day, has just been helped by me. Surely he's going to remember me before Pharaoh. And two years go by. I think this is an important part of Joseph's story, an important part of Joseph's journey. I think that probably one of the things this is teaching Joseph is not to put his hope in man and not to put his hope in princes. And, and I think an outworking of this is going to be, as we'll see in this passage, when Joseph himself stands before Pharaoh, he doesn't fear man. He's not afraid of speaking the truth to Pharaoh, even if it's somewhat confrontational to Pharaoh. So the difficulties that Joseph is enduring... Are, are producing in Joseph the character that he needs for what he's going to face. And just as an observation, if you, if you look over at, at uh, chapter 41, verse, uh, I can't read what verse that is, verse 46, if you look at that verse, it tells us that Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. And this tells us that at this point, um, uh, you know, Joseph interpreted those dreams at the age of 28, and then two more years are going to go by before he stands before Pharaoh. So in the first eight verses of this chapter, we're going to get Pharaoh's two dreams recounted. And then the end of the chapter, the last uh, 11 or so verses, verses 46 through 57, we're going to see those dreams come to pass. So uh, first the dreams in 41, 1 to 8. We read here, after two whole years... Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. I just want to observe here that this must have been a very disturbing dream. This must have been a dream unlike other dreams that Pharaoh has had, because we've all had dreams, haven't we? We've all had dreams, and the dreams that we have don't necessarily change the whole course of our lives. And so I think that there was probably something distinctive, something particularly vivid about these dreams that Pharaoh is having, uh, something that, that gripped him in a way that other dreams that maybe you had last night don't grip us normally. So Pharaoh has this dream, and then he awakes. And then in verse 5 we read, He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now, I just want to compare and contrast this Pharaoh with the Pharaoh of the Exodus for just a moment. You remember the Pharaoh of the Exodus, he's also going to be uh, uh, confronted by a Hebrew who, like Joseph, had access to his court. 
And that Pharaoh of the Exodus is going to respond negatively to Moses, whereas this Pharaoh is going to respond positively to Joseph. And this should, this should reinforce for us the truth of Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where the Lord said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. The Pharaoh of the Exodus is cursed. His child dies, and then it's very likely that he himself dies as he drives his chariot into the Red Sea and the waters cover him. This Pharaoh is going to be blessed, and the difference comes down to how they respond to the prophet of God. The Pharaoh of the Exodus rejected Moses, the prophet of God. This Pharaoh accepts what Joseph says to him and responds in faith, believing what Joseph says to him. It's also interesting to observe that here, this Pharaoh, he tells the dream to the magicians. The Pharaoh of the Exodus, he's going to have his magicians, isn't he? He's going to have these guys who can turn their staffs into snakes and they can turn the Nile into blood and they can, they can mimic everything that Moses can do, but they can't undo anything that Moses does. Whereas these magicians, they, they cannot interpret the dream for Pharaoh. In the same way that Nebuchadnezzar is going to have magicians in Daniel, and uh, those magicians are not going to be able to tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dreams are, nor can they declare their interpretations. So the Pharaoh, he tells the dreams to the magicians, and there is no one who can interpret the dreams. I hope that you, you feel here the desperation of the Pharaoh. He, he's he's got to be sensing the, the fact that his spirit is troubled there uh, in verse 8. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. This indicates that he knows something unique, something special is being revealed to him. His spirit is troubled, and there is nothing he can do about this. He doesn't have the Bible. At this point, he doesn't have a prophet. He has nowhere to go to get the answers that he needs. And we are blessed to have the scriptures. In the scriptures, we are given everything that we need to know how to be made right with God and live a life that is pleasing to God. In these dreams, we're going to see as we continue through this passage that the Lord is revealing to Pharaoh the next 14 years of, of, of Egyptian history. That's what the Lord is revealing to Pharaoh. In the scriptures, God tells us everything that we need to know about the rest of human history and about how everything is going to consummate and what's going to come after that. I hope that we feel how precious it is to have the Bible. In verses 9 through 13, we're going to see the cupbearer remember Joseph. Look with me at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and, and let me just bring in uh, what, we, what we talked about when we were in chapter 40, you know, the cupbearer, his job is to keep Pharaoh alive. And what happened there is that the cupbearer gets restored, but the baker gets put to death. So the cupbearer is to protect the Pharaoh, and he's probably uh, overseeing at some level the, the baker. And the fact that the baker was put to death probably indicates that somebody was trying to poison Pharaoh's food, and Pharaoh punished him by having him executed. And so the, the cupbearer, he seems to be a little bit ginger about the way that he reminds Pharaoh of, of the time when Pharaoh was angry with his servants. You notice he doesn't say, there was a time when I was under suspicion, or there was a time when I committed an infraction. It's, it's Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. And then he rela relates how uh, they dreamed. This is what we saw in chapter 40. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams 
to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. This might give us a little bit of insight into why the cupbearer didn't mention Joseph. He wants to forget all that unpleasantness. But now the Pharaoh is clearly so disturbed and so troubled by his dream that he can't help but come out with this information about Joseph. Um, I would just note here again that this anticipates um, other events in the life of Daniel that we didn't necessarily read in Daniel chapter 5. You remember if, from your previous readings of Daniel 5, that the hand appears to Belshazzar and starts writing on the wall. And Belshazzar is really troubled by this revelation. And then the queen, his mother, comes in and tells him about Daniel, tells him about how Daniel had interpreted his father's troubling dreams, at, at which point Belshazzar calls for Daniel. Uh, why would these correspondences be noted and recorded about Joseph and Daniel. Uh, I, w- I think that the, these two figures, Joseph and Daniel, are playing similar roles in the outworking of the, the Old Testament story. At, at this point in Genesis, near the end of the chapter of, of the book of Genesis, we're right before the Exodus. And we have this, this young Hebrew who's exalted in the foreign court. And it's almost as though he's preparing the way for the exodus from Egypt. In fact, um, in Psalm 105, the passage we've looked at a, a number of times, it speaks of how when the Lord sent the famine on the land, he had sent a man ahead of the patriarchs, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And, and it's, the, it's as though the Lord has sent Joseph ahead to prepare uh, the the land of Egypt, for the coming of Israel down into slavery, setting up things for the exodus from Egypt. I think Daniel is playing a similar role, and and it's as though Daniel precedes the new exodus, the fulfillment of the exodus that's going to be accomplished in Jesus in the same way that Joseph precedes uh, the exodus that will be accomplished under Moses. And so I think there are these patterns that are being repeated for us across the pages of the scriptures, and there are also significant ways in which Joseph himself anticipates what happens with Jesus, and Daniel himself anticipates what happens with Jesus, as we see right here. If you look at verses 14 through 16, we see Joseph raised, and and look at what happens here. Joseph, we we read in, in Genesis 41, verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And now we've talked about how when Joseph goes from the land of promise down into the land of Egypt, it's as though he, he leaves the clean realm of life, the promised land, and he enters into the unclean realm of the dead, which is what Egypt in a way symbolizes in the biblical imagination. It's the place where the dead live. It's, it's almost like going down into Sheol to go down into Egypt. And not only is Joseph down in Sheol, he's in a pit in Sheol. And now they're going to raise him up out of the pit. And, and by the way, you remember that his father thinks he's dead, but he's actually not dead. He's going to be raised up out of this pit, and he's going to be exalted to the right hand of power in this chapter. Similarly, uh, they're going to put... Uh, Daniel into a pit and they're going to roll a stone over it and they're going to seal it and there seems no way that Daniel is going to come up out of that pit alive because there are these lions down there that everyone expects to devour Daniel and and by the power of God Daniel comes out of that pit alive and I'm suggesting to you that both of these things Joseph coming up alive out of the pit to reign Daniel coming up alive out of the pit to to, to be restored to the right hand of power. Both of these anticipate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus against all expectation, against, all, against anything that anyone had any right to hope. Christ was raised from the dead in fulfillment of the scriptures like these, these pictures and patterns that we're reading about here. So Genesis 41, 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Probably they've, they've dressed him up like an Egyptian. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And then look at these words in verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. Joseph's telling the truth. It's not in him. But how would you respond if Pharaoh said that to you? If Pharaoh said, I've heard it said of you that you can give me what I most need right now. I suspect that we might get carried away with ourselves. I suspect that we might be tempted to think, you know, if I say the right thing right now, I can make myself indispensable to Pharaoh. I can make it where I'm out of prison forever. Maybe if I tickle the Pharaoh's ear. Maybe if I somehow figure out what, he, what it is that he wants to hear. Maybe if I, if I somehow play the politics of this moment just right, my life can be changed. Why is it that Joseph is able to say to Pharaoh, it is not in me? I would suggest to you that what enables Joseph to tell the truth in this moment, to say, this is not about me. I'm not, it's, this is not about Joseph being some kind of clairvoyant. This is about God. Look at, look at what he says there. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And, and, you know, you can almost hear the titters behind him. God? This guy believes in God? Doesn't he know all the gods that Pharaoh worships? Doesn't he know that you don't talk that way in the presence of the Pharaoh? What is it that is enabling Joseph to do this? It's the perseverance through suffering that has produced character, proven character, in just the way that Paul describes in Romans 5, in just the way that James describes in James 1. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope so that Joseph is able to boldly stand there and tell the Lord of all the earth the truth. Even if it makes it look like Joseph is not the one who's indispensable. It's not in me. Even if it's controversial, even if it's maybe not permitted to talk this way to Pharaoh, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph is confronting everything Pharaoh believes. Pharaoh believes in the sun god. He believes in the god of the Nile. He believes in all these false gods. And Joseph is telling him the truth. I'm not the indispensable one. It's not in me. The one living and true God will give to Pharaoh a favorable answer. I would invite you to consider, to look at your own life and consider, how would you do in that moment? And again, I just want to urge you. I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say this. I want to urge you to imitate Joseph. Imitate the faith of those who have gone before us. We, we want to be people who meditate on the scriptures so that the truth is inside us. We want to be people who are ready in season and out. We want to be people who are prepared to say, God has revealed himself. And that revelation is determinative for the future of Egypt, for the future of my life, for the future of your life. God has revealed the future. He really has. We read it in Revelation chapter 6. There, there is going to be a day when all of the earthly pretense is stripped away and we are exposed, open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That day is coming. And the only thing that will get us there is us persevering in the scriptures, persevering in our walk with God, and seeking to know God in Christ by faith through God's revelation to us in his word. And if we walk that way, if they put us in prison, we'll rejoice. If they sell us into slavery, we'll rejoice. Because we'll be confident Jesus is, Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to come back. Everything that the Bible says is true. And these minor things that we deal with, whether it's frustrations at work or 
frustrations in the home or whatever, we'll be able to rejoice through those things too. Joseph answered Pharaoh there in verse 16, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And now, at this point in the passage, we're going to get another recounting of Pharaoh's dreams in verses 17 through 24. So I'm just going to read quickly through this. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing by the banks of the Nile. Can you imagine this scene? This guy has just summoned a prisoner out of the depths of the pit. And this this convicted prisoner is now standing before the king. And the king is saying, I need to tell you about the dream that I had last night. This This is the most bizarre scene you can imagine. I mean, can you imagine Joe Biden? saying, I need a prisoner to be brought before me who will interpret my dream. And then, and then they call the prisoner in. I mean, they would think uh, we really might need to go with, you know, uh, invoking that, that clause that says that this guy has lost his capacity to reign at this point. That, that, I think those kinds of thoughts would be had. And here's the Pharaoh calling Joseph in to share his dream, looking for an interpretation. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. And again, as we, as we did when, as we saw when we looked at chapter 40, there's nothing about these cows that would indicate to us, oh, cow symbolizes year. And the fact that there are seven cows that are good means that they're going to be. No, this is God's direct revelation to Joseph. God is going to reveal this to Joseph. And and the Bible is not teaching us, you know, this is how you interpret things. No, the Bible is saying God gave prophetic abilities to Joseph. And God gave prophetic revelation to Pharaoh. That's That's what we're reading about here. This is not how to interpret dream school. That's not what's going on. So he's telling the dream, and he he talks about the seven cows, plump and attractive, there in verse 18, that came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Um, Just a note here, the word that's rendered ugly there could also be rendered evil. And, and there, it's interesting that the words good, the good cows, and then evil, the evil cows are being used. So Joseph has ability to, to discern between good and evil as he interprets Pharaoh's dream. Uh, Pharaoh says there at the end of verse 21, then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, it's good again, seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Okay, so Pharaoh has related to Joseph now his dream. That's the second telling of the dream. And you could compare verses 1 to 8 and verses 17 to 24. You'd have a lot of repeated statements. Now at this point in verse 25, we get Joseph's interpretation of the dream. So verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh, these two, are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now drop your eyes down to verse 32. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Verse 25, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, God will shortly bring it about. In between, you get the seven years recounted in verses 26 and 27, and then verses 29 through 31, and then in the middle, in verse 28, it says, it is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. So this is a a carefully constructed unit here that gives us Joseph's interpretation of the dream. God is telling Pharaoh what he's about to do. There are going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Now, if you're Pharaoh, how would you respond to that? Would you say to somebody like Joseph, this prisoner that's been brought out of uh, the pit and cleaned up and placed before you, can you give me some kind of verification of this? And if, if, if Pharaoh said that, I think Joseph would say, talk to that cupbearer. Talk to that cupbearer. 
I, I, I interpreted his dream. It came to pass. If you were Pharaoh, would you say, how am I going to respond to this now? God has just revealed the future. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. What am I supposed to do with that? And, and as we think about this, let me just encourage you to, to get famine out of the modern world where we've got this massive supply chain, where even if the crops don't grow here, we can get stuff shipped in from all over. It didn't work that way. We're going to see in, in coming chapters that the famine is in all the lands, and it is so bad in the land of promise that they come down to Egypt because of the way that Joseph has made preparation, because there's no food anywhere else. There, there's no getting on Amazon and placing an order. There's no going down the street to Walmart, and if they're empty, you just go to the next grocery store. There is no food anywhere. So if you're Pharaoh and you're hearing about seven years of famine, you're probably thinking a lot of people are going to die. This is, gonna, this is real trouble. And this is where Joseph continues to speak. And what Joseph does in verses 33 through 36 is he offers Pharaoh counsel on how to respond. I suspect that Joseph does this for a number of reasons. He's probably looking at Pharaoh, and he can probably tell Pharaoh doesn't know how to respond to this. I've just told him there are going to be seven years of, of plenty followed by seven years of famine, and Pharaoh clearly doesn't know how to respond to this. Joseph also has been, again, I think, prepared by his walk with God. There, there's so many things about the life of Joseph that illustrate the Proverbs. I think I alluded to this one earlier. This is Proverbs 22, verse 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Joseph is like a walking illustration of prudence. He, he sees trouble and he says, we've got to make preparation for that trouble. He knows what to do. And again, I think it's because of the way that he's been meditating on the truth that we now have embedded in the book of Genesis. Joseph, is in, he's been walking with God. He knows God. And so he's ready Verse 33, now therefore, Joseph says, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. Those terms, discerning, wise, they're in the introduction to the book of Proverbs. This is, this is for the wise to learn more wisdom still. This is for you to increase in your power of discernment. It's all over Proverbs. These are also terms that are going to be used with reference to Daniel. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh might be thinking, wait a minute now, I'm over the land of Egypt. And if Joseph is before the court, Pharaoh probably has a vice president who's probably not too happy to hear this prisoner making this suggestion that, the, that somebody be put in the place of the whatever you want to call him, the vice regent. I don't, know, I don't know how they termed these guys in ancient Egypt. The second in command, who is about to be displaced because Joseph is going to be put in that role. And then there are all these other political operators, as there always are, that are probably not very happy about what's about to happen with Joseph. Verse 34, Let, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land. And take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. And let them keep it, that the food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. Pharaoh, this is how you respond to the seven years of plenty, plenty followed by the seven years of famine. Don't live it up during the seven years, Pharaoh. Don't squander the opportunity before you. You need to be wise about the way that you steward these resources. You need to put somebody in charge of this. You need to take one-fifth of the produce. The people will keep eight-tenths of it. They'll be phenomenally rich. But take a big portion and store it up against the seven years of famine that are coming. Be disciplined. Make it organized you got to do, do, do this the right way, Joseph is saying. You understand that Joseph is calling upon Pharaoh 
to rearrange his whole administration. This is going to make some people unhappy. Joseph is calling on Pharaoh to reconfigure the way that food is handled, the way that taxation is handled. And ultimately, Joseph is saying, you need to entrust your entire kingdom to this wise and discerning man that I'm recommending you put over this job. How would you respond to God's revelation of the future? If God revealed to you the next 14 years, would you take immediate, direct action that would change everything about your life, that would cause all kinds of political turmoil in the court? There are probably going to be some people that are going to object to, you know, 20% taxation. There are probably going to be some people that are going to object to the reshuffle of the cabinet that's going to take place as a result of this. Pharaoh is so compelled by the revelation of God that all of that becomes irrelevant. Jesus says things like, better to gouge out your eye than to enter into hell with both of them. A judgment is coming. We need to take action against the ways that we're tempted. Jesus says, don't store up treasures in heaven where, I'm, I'm sorry, on earth, where, where moth and rust destroy. You need to store up your treasures in heaven. We need to t- take direct action. We need to live like we believe what Jesus is saying. Jesus says that many are going to say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do mighty works and prophesy in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because they didn't do the will of his Father who is in heaven. We need to take immediate direct. I don't know what it is in your life. Okay? But we, I know that all of us, I, I suspect you're thinking of it right now, the way that you need to change. Steps you need to take. This afternoon. Don't delay. Maybe, maybe there are people in this room that haven't repented of their sin and put their hope and trust in Jesus. You need to do that. You need to recognize that Christ is going to come in judgment. And when he comes in judgment, it's going to be far worse than seven years of famine. It's going to last forever, the devastation of the wrath of God. And the only hope is to hear the prophetic word from the scriptures and to respond to it like Pharaoh does. Look at what Pharaoh does in response to Joseph telling him the future. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. There's a way for us to live through the seven years of famine. I think that's the response. Look, there's a way for you to live through the coming judgment. There's a way for you to live that actually pleases Almighty God. The Word of God, we should hear it as pleasing to us. We want to respond the way the Pharaoh does. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? It's as though he's anticipating the objections and challenging them. None of you could interpret the dream. None of you could tell us what it meant or what to do in response. Don't you all acknowledge that this is the guy that we need to put into authority here? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. There's amazing humility on the part of Pharaoh here. Humility that is brought about from the word of God. Pharaoh, you can't cause the prosperity. You can't prevent the famine. But it's coming. And and it's like Pharaoh says, okay, you're God. I'm just man. And and you've given me this guy. And we're going to put him in charge. And just with regard to this formality, am I going to be a figurehead and more significant than him? Verse 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. This is exactly what they do to Daniel in Daniel 5. And he made him ride in in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. 
Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. The man in the same day, he woke up that morning in the pit in prison. And by the end of the day, nobody is lifting hand or foot in all Egypt except by his consent. It's most remarkable. It's like, it's like being raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of the Father. It anticipates this. Verse 46, Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphanath Paniah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Um, that phrase there in verse 44, without your consent, um, I, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't make a note of this, but there's, one, there's a phrase in here that, and I think it's that one, but I would, I would need to verify. I think it's that phrase. There's a phrase in here in Hebrew that says something like, everyone will kiss the mouth, your mouth or something like that. And, and it's the same terminology used in Psalm 2 when it says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. And, and I think that the, the, the correspondence of language is arising from David reflecting on what the Pharaoh said to Joseph and then saying, this is what's going to be true of, of the, king, the future king from uh, the line of David there in Psalm 2. So Joseph is now, he, his counsel has been given. He's now exalted over all Egypt. And now in the closing verses of the chapter, we see the dreams come to pass in verse 46 through 57. We also see in these verses, we see the way that Joseph brings about the blessing of Abraham. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 1 Samuel 5, 4 is going to tell us that David was 30 years old when he began to reign over Israel and Judah. Luke 3, 23 is going to tell us Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. So, you know, this thing about these patterns being repeated from the life of Joseph to the life of David to the life of Jesus, I think, why would Luke tell us that Jesus is about 30 years old? Because he wants us to associate him with Joseph and David. Middle of verse 46 there, Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. There's blessing on the land. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years. He's, he's, it's almost as though Joseph has heard the words, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. She stores it up in the harvest time because she knows that winter is coming. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. He gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. So he's, he's organized how they're going to store the food. He doesn't want to transport it too far. Just put it in the cities that are surrounded by the fields. Verse 49 and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea. And, and this is meant, I think, to remind us of the promise to Abraham. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of heaven and like the sand on the seashore, the Lord had said to Abraham back in Genesis 15. And, and it's as though Moses is subtly communicating the blessing of Abraham is being brought to pass through Joseph in an anticipatory way until he ceased to measure it. They stopped counting the grain, for it could not be measured. And then verse 50, Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all the hardship and all my father, all my hardship and all my father's house. Now, this doesn't come across so much in Egypt, uh, in English, um, but in Hebrew, the, the Nasah part of the name Manasah, that Hebrew term is also used for forgiving. So when Exodus 34, 6, and 7 speaks of the Lord being a God who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, what he does is he Nasahs that that for iniquity, transgression, and sin. It also has the connotation of bearing or carrying. It's as though God is a God who carries 
iniquity and transgression and sin and thereby forgives those who have committed it. And Joseph is saying, I'm going to name my son, uh, I'm going to give him a name that's built off this word that has these connotations of forgiveness, has these connotations of the sins and the trouble and the affliction of my father's house being carried away. I think this indicates that Joseph, he's come to a place where he's at peace with his brothers. He's come to, they haven't repented. They haven't sought his forgiveness, but he's forgiven them. Insofar as it depends upon him, he's ready to say, God was clearly at work. I mean, we're going to see him say that kind of thing at the end, right? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Joseph is already ready to say, it seems to me, God has brought about forgiveness here. And then he, na- he gives his son this profoundly theological name, Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. I think Joseph is picking up Genesis 128. Be fruitful. That's the para part of the name Ephraim. The pa and the fra are related. So it's like Joseph is saying, here I am in Egypt living out what God charged Adam to do, to be fruitful and multiply. And God's making me fruitful now in the land of my affliction. So there's, he's not in the land of promise, but there's blessing and there's seed. And then we read, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the, and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And then before I read these next words in verse 57, let me remind you of what the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis 12:3. He told him, All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Verse 57, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. I want to read to you uh, what John Salehammer writes about Joseph and Adam. Salehammer wrote, just as Adam is seen in the creation account as dependent on God for his knowledge of good and evil, So Joseph also is portrayed here in the same terms, knowing the good and the evil from Pharaoh's dreams. Just as Adam is made God's vice-regent to rule over all the land, so similarly, Joseph is portrayed here as the Pharaoh's vice-regent. As Adam was made in God's image to rule over all the land, so the king here gave Joseph his signet ring and dressed him in royal garments. It's as though uh, the picture of Joseph resembles, Salehammer writes, the psalmist's understanding of Genesis 1 when regarding that passage he writes, you have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Just as God provided for Adam a wife in the garden and gave man all the land for his enjoyment, so the king gave a wife to Joseph and put him over all the land. And then I'm not going to read it, but Salehammer goes on to say, in the, same, in the same moment as Joseph points us back to Adam, that points us forward to the new Adam, the one who's going to succeed where the first Adam failed, the one to whom the father said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools, the, the one who is king of all kings and lord of all lords, who brings about forgiveness for his people and provides everything we need. God reveals 14 years to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh remakes his administration, alters government policy on food, changes everything about the taxation scheme in Egypt, and entrusts his life to the one to whom God said his brothers would bow down. Pharaoh bets everything on Joseph. God has revealed everything that matters about the future to us through the scriptures. I mean, I know that there's lots of stuff that's not revealed, but everything that matters, 
Everything that determines whether you're going to go to heaven or go to hell is revealed to you in the scriptures. I would plead with you to bet your life on Jesus. I would plead with you to trust Jesus the same way that Pharaoh trusts Joseph. Pharaoh doesn't know, 14, you know, eight, in the eighth year from now, the famine is surely going to come. He has to take that by faith. In the same way, we take by faith. Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is coming. We've seen the actions that Pharaoh took. What action do you need to take? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd give us a courage that arises from our conviction that you have indeed revealed yourself. Lord, in the same way that you made this compelling to Pharaoh, you convinced him that there was nothing more important for him to deal with than what was revealed to him in those dreams. Lord, would you grip us by your word? Convince us that there is nothing more important for us to deal with than what is revealed to us in the scriptures. And by your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would bring home to us what we need to address about our lives. If we need to make a phone call, help us to do that. If we need to cut off our access to things that are leading us into sin, give us the courage to take those steps. If we need to make apologies to people that we've wronged, help us to do that, Lord. Lord, if we need to set new patterns in place that will help us to form new habits of reading the Scriptures, of, of, of praying for your people and for those that matter most to us, Lord, help us to take these steps. Lord, if, if we need to be people who are more bold in sharing our faith, help us to take the steps necessary. And Lord, help us to grow together. Help us to love one another. Make us a church, we pray, that honors you by faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit. Amen.